Uh, Well, today we conclude our short series on the Psalms uh, before turning to 2 Timothy next week. Uh, So far in the Psalms, we've seen that uh, the Psalms were written in a time of Israel where God's people were living in God's place under God's rule. David was their king, and through the Psalms, we see what it means to live in the kingdom of God, yet still in a world of sin. For David, this doesn't mean that life is always easy. Often in the Psalms, David is asking similar questions that we ask today during times of hardship and adversity. In fact, think about David's life so far. Ever since he was a boy, he's faced some type of hardship or adversity. As a shepherd, he was holding off attacking lions as he looked after the sheep. As a young man, he ran for his life from King Saul, having spears thrown at him uh, and also having Saul's army chasing him down. As a new king, he was establishing Israel's borders, fending off her her enemies. And then as an older king, escaping Jerusalem, even from his own son, Absalom. Life has not been easy for David up to this point. In, In many ways, his life has been full of hardship. And you can almost uh, find us saying with David, enough, God, give give him a break. In fact, see how this psalm starts out in verses 1 to 2. Can you see it there? David is saying this, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Help my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. David is, is crying out for help. And for many of us, we have a similar experience to that of David's, don't we? whether it be through sickness, uh, hardship, sin, pain, death, or some other type of adversity, we often cry out to God like David, give me a break, Lord, hear my cry. Uh, If not for ourselves, for, for others that we love. And it makes us wonder what keeps someone like David going with all that he's been through. How can we continue when we're facing this type of adversity? Well, this is the beauty of the Psalms. We do get an insight into how David continues to trust in God despite all that he's been through. And what we'll see in the Psalms today is that David's knowledge of how he treats the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked, gives him confidence to persevere. Let me say that again. Today we'll see in the Psalms how, David, how David's knowledge of how he treats the righteous and the wicked gives him confidence to persevere. And as we come to this psalm, we'll be challenged too as we look at it. Does our knowledge of God, does our understanding of God help us through times of adversity? Well, before I get into the psalm, let me pray that God will help us to understand his word. Heavenly Father, we are so privileged to come and look at your word, uh, but we recognize that the world around us is very noisy and very loud. Help us to shut out the voice of the world. Help us to focus in on your words and by your spirit, help us to understand them so that we too can have confidence not only to navigate this life, but to one day join you in all eternity. And we pray this for your sake and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first aspect of this psalm that, uh, uh, that helps us to... Uh, the first, Sorry, let me start again. The first aspect of this psalm that helps us is to see that David has a knowledge of how God deals with the righteous. Uh, Have a look with me there at verse 3. We see in verse 3 that God knows, that David knows that God has heard his cry. David comes to God in the morning and lays his request before him. 
and has this confidence that God will answer him. And so he waits in expectation. Uh, David's confidence in waiting for an answer from God, we'll see, comes from his knowledge of God. It's not a, a blind faith. It's not a blind confidence. But rather, throughout David's life, God has answered his prayers. He has seen God work through his word. He has seen God establish him from being a shepherd to being a king. And this gives David confidence that he can ask God and wait in expectation, knowing that God will listen. And so as a result of this confidence in verse 7, we see that David knows he can come into the house of the Lord. Now, the house that David is referring to here is the uh, dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, God's dwelling place was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which in David's time was still in a tent in Jerusalem. And David acknowledges that this is where God dwells, but he has confidence that he can enter God's presence and not die. Now, this is quite amazing in the Old Testament, you see, because God's dwelling place is holy. Only those who are cleansed, only those who are righteous before God can enter his dwelling place. In fact, in the Old Testament, so holy was the place where God dwelt was that the, the high priest could enter this place once a year. And when he did enter this place once a year, a rope was tied around his leg just in case he somehow died in there so others wouldn't go into the holy place and defile it. They could actually pull him out. But David is saying here he has confidence to go and stand in the presence of God in this holy dwelling place. Why? Well, we see because of God's great love for him. He could enter God's house and in reverence bow down towards his holy temple. And then further on in verse 8, we see that David, because, uh, we see that because David knows God's way is the right way to follow, he asked the Lord uh, to lead him and to make his, way straight, make his path straight before him or clear before him. You see, from David's experience, following God is the best way for him to live. Following God's ways are the right way for him to live. And so because of this, he asked God to continue in this way. Make his paths, make his ways straight before David. Make them clear so David knows how to follow them. And then finally, in verses 11 to 12, uh, with words of gladness and joy, David concludes, people can take refuge in God. And David proclaims, the Lord blesses the righteous. The Lord spreads his protection over all those who love the name of the Lord and surrounds them with his favor as a shield. David is saying that God is constantly acting in favor towards him, towards those who are righteous and blessing them. Now, by blessing here, I don't necessarily mean uh, material blessings. I, I don't think David is talking about that, but relational blessing. Being blessed doesn't mean that God stops David from going through trials and hardships. But rather, David can have the knowledge that despite the hardships, despite the adversity, God will not leave him or forsake him. Which leads him to cry out in prayer with an expectation, knowing that God will answer him. And so the first aspect of this psalm is we see David's knowledge of God and how he treats those who are righteous, and this gives David confidence. God has a relationship with him. God hears and protects him. God makes his way known to him and allows him into his presence. And this gives David gladness and joy. 
despite what he's going through, despite the hardship he is facing. But it's not just the knowledge of what happens to the righteous that gives David confidence. David also has a knowledge of how God will treat the wicked. And this is my second point for today. Can you see there in verse 4? David knows that God does not take pleasure in evil, and the wicked cannot dwell with him. Notice this is opposite to what happens to those who are righteous. That is, those who reject God, those who reject his ways, those who, who don't live according to how God desires, God does not delight in. I think there's a sentiment in the world today that those who do not know God, uh, uh, amongst those who don't know God, that God is actually, uh, should be accepting of them because God is love. He should be accepting of everyone. But you see, this is not David's understanding of God. In fact, look what he says in verse 5. God hates those who do wrong. In verse 6, he destroys those who tell lies. He abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. And then finally in verse 8, he does not trust their words. These are strong words, aren't they? You know, there's a saying that goes something like this. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. But I think that this psalm would disagree with that saying. Can you see what it's saying here? How, how God feels about the wicked? God abhors those who rebel against him. God will never allow the wicked to dwell in his presence. Nor does he allow those who are arrogant to stand in his presence. In fact, what we see here in the Psalms is that David is saying that God is a God who judges the wicked, who judges the sinner, not just the sin. God is a God who does not let wickedness go unaccounted for. And David knows this. And so in verse 10, he calls for justice. Declare them guilty. Banish them for their sins. David has this knowledge of God and a knowledge of how the wicked are treated who rebel against him. And it leads him to the conclusion that the wicked must be judged for the way that they're living. The wicked need to be dealt with by a righteous God. And I think that this is a problem in the world today. People don't know this. They don't understand this. Their knowledge of God is tainted by what they consider to be right and wrong rather than what God considers to be right and wrong. And so they live ignorant of what David knows, of what we know, unaware of the way that God feels about them, unaware of the consequences of God declaring them guilty. But David knows and so he calls all those to take refuge in God and be glad. And he calls them to rejoice. And so David concludes this psalm with a knowledge of how God treats those who are wicked and it gives him confidence. Confidence that those who stand against him will never stand before God. That God hates the wicked, that God declares them guilty and God destroys them. It's not a pretty picture, is it? In fact, it's a hard message to hear. But for the righteous, it gives us confidence that we're on the side of God. Wouldn't it be great to have this confidence? Confidence that as we live as the righteous, that we live as the righteous and not as the wicked. Confidence that God's blessing was upon us, that we could one day stand in his presence. Confidence that we wouldn't be counted amongst the wicked. The question is, is, is this psalm speaking to us? 
You see, for David, he lived in this unique relationship with God as his king. He knew that God was on his side and wasn't on the side of the wicked. He knew that God would bless him. But is it the same for us? Do we have this same confidence as David? I think if we were to apply the psalm directly to us, I think we would be in trouble because our situation has changed so much, hasn't it? David, after all, was king of Israel. He had this special relationship with God that you and I don't have. So the question becomes, how can we have this confidence that David has? Well, I think the answer to this question is seen in how the writers of the New Testament understood this psalm. Uh, The psalm is quoted twice in the New Testament. And I think as we look at these references, it'll help us to understand how we too can have that same confidence as David. Well, the first place I want to take us to, it'll come up on the screen behind, is Romans chapter 3, where we read in verses 9 to 18 a list talking through quotes from the Old Testament showing how no one is righteous. Specifically, see how, in, uh, how Psalm 5 verse 9 is quoted in verse 13 of Romans chapter 3. Can you see it there? Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their list. Uh, it, it's a line that's part of this longer list that's building Paul's argument in Romans, saying that's concluded in Romans 3.23, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, no one lives up to God's righteous expectations. David might know that God is on the side of the righteous and stands against the wicked, and that's all good and well for those who are righteous, but the problem is there's no one who's righteous. No one can can claim to be the righteous one that David is talking about. Not even David himself. Well, no one except one. The one whom fulfilled what David said in verse 8 of the psalm, that God will make his way straight before him. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Anyone know where that one comes from? Let's jump to John 1.23, where John the Baptist replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, and here's the quote from the psalm, make straight the way for the Lord. You see, John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way for the righteous one of Psalm 5, And of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteous one, the fulfillment of Psalm 5. He was not arrogant. He did no wrong. His words can be trusted and he did no sin. He lived the righteous life. Yet through his life, death and resurrection, he was able to enter the most holy place, the eternal dwelling place of God. He entered into God's temple, into his holy temple, Not, not the earthly temple that David was confident he could enter into, but the heavenly one. And we read about this in Hebrews 9, verse 24, where it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered where? He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. You see, Jesus is the only one, the righteous one, who could stand before God and not be destroyed. But the good news for us is that Jesus' death and resurrection was not just for him but was also effective for all those who put their trust in him. We read this in Hebrews 9.27, where it goes on to say, just as people are destined to die once and then after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. You see, Jesus lived that perfect life. He lived that righteous life with no sin so that when he died as a righteous man, he died the death that he did not deserve. 
But in doing so, he died as a substitute for humankind, for the wickedness that we have done. And so that all who trust in him will not face that punishment that they deserve, but can take refuge in him. You see, it is through Jesus we can have confidence. We saw this in our second reading. In fact, if you've got it there, flip open to uh, Hebrews 10. And we can see what it says there. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, while David knows God, he knows how God treats the righteous and the wicked, God calls us now to know the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way, to know the salvation that is one in his name, the new and living way that he created for us to get to heaven, to be with him, to know the love, grace and forgiveness that he offers so that our guilty consciences can be cleansed, to know the confidence to approach that most holy place because Jesus has shown us a way to get to heaven. We can be confident that through him we can go there too to know the assurance that faith brings, to know that as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope can be the same as David's in God. But it's not the full picture, is it? We also still need to know that God will still punish those who are wicked. For those who have this knowledge but continue to sin, to continue to reject God's ways, to continue to reject Jesus because we read that as well, don't we, at Hebrews? That was the last two verses, verse 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Friends, this is a sober reminder to us all that if we do continue to sin, that God still deals with the sinner, he still deals with those who reject him and live the wicked way. And there is a most awful judgment that is coming. In fact, verse 31 of Hebrews 10 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so friends, we do need to be mindful of this. Knowing how God treats the wicked, however, also shines the light on the opportunity is for us and for others to know the full grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this knowledge should give us a great confidence to come before our God and King in prayer and to have a, a, a prayer of expectation that God will answer, to have an understanding how God sees the world before us of the righteous and the, and the wicked, but to be as confident as David that no matter what happens to us, through Jesus, our salvation is secure to be as confident as David that one day because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can stand in the presence of God and be accepted by him because of what the Lord Jesus has done. But also to know that the wicked will be judged, but that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, friends, let me conclude. A knowledge of God gives David confidence 
confidence to pray to him and wait in expectation, knowing that God will be true to who he is, a defender of the righteous and a hater of those who do wrong. And this knowledge gives David confidence that he can come into God's household and bow towards the temple. But how much more confidence can you and I have because of the Lord Jesus Christ? No longer, like David, do we need to wait in expectation, but in many ways our prayers have been answered, haven't they, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for us, we can be confident that when adversity comes, when hard times come, that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. He has paved the way for us so that one day we will stand before the throne of God and we'll be able to stand because we have been declared righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, this should give us confidence that no no matter what happens to us in this life, God will protect us and he will bring us safely home. Let me end with a final few words of a wonderful example that happened this very week that displays the confidence that I'm talking about. We as a staff uh, received some extremely sad news this week about a lovely girl from year 12 at Roseville College named Jasmine who lost her long fight with cancer this week and passed away. But we were told these were some of her final words. I am so excited to be meeting Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I am so excited to be meeting Jesus. Friends, this is the confidence that knowing Jesus brings. And my prayer and hope is that the same will be for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful hope, the wonderful confidence that we can have knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter what happens to us in this life, we are secure in him. Help us to be those who respond in faith and obedience. Help us to be those who can say, I am so excited to be meeting Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we do every week, we have the opportunity to uh, text in some questions if you have them, and the number that you should use is in the back of the news. Uh, it looks like some of us are already onto this, so I've got two questions already. So, uh, Mel, the first question says, uh, what should I do if I'm not sure if I'm good enough to be one of the righteous? Mm, absolutely. You uh, put your trust in Jesus. None of us are good enough to be the righteous, but Jesus is, and he says that through faith in him, We are made righteous by him. Uh, The best way to do it is to put your trust in Jesus. Thank you. Um, The next one I've got here um, uh, is referring to verse 4. Evil people are not welcome. Doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the Bible's view of God. Could it be that some psalms are the prayers of imperfect people in tough situations with imperfect views of God? I think the Bible teaches us that God deals with people who are sinful, people who continue to reject him, and finally one day there is a judgment for them coming. And that is a reality that we need to live with. But God has given us, through the Lord Jesus Christ, a wonderful way to be saved, uh, uh, an offer that we can stand before him. 
and it all comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what I was trying to say that the psalm teaches us. Uh, the psalm does teach us that, that God does deal and punish sin. He does do that. Uh, but he gives us a way out of that through faith in Jesus. And so there is a way to stand before God, even though we're wicked, and it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through trusting in him.